Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. approach to tackling coronavirus is to prepare for the worst and work for the best. You need a totally different style of leadership. It's not enough to have a plan. You need to be testing, testing, testing. Britain and the EU, do they want to be seen as locking horns on an issue such as a no-deal Brexit when the economy is going to be suffering and people's lives are going to be facing so much disruption? You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Now, the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, is facing a grilling from senior MPs today over the government's coronavirus strategy because it follows the announcement the lockdown restrictions will continue for at least another three weeks. But the UK number of dead from the virus outbreak is inching towards 14,000. There have been lots of criticisms, of course, about the provision of equipment and testing. And the Transport Secretary, Grant Shapps, says... In terms of a release from the lockdown, it's crucial not to be too hasty. We need to be absolutely clear that when we release some of these measures, that we don't end up in a second wave, that it just then comes back and all the great work that the British public have done could be undone if we don't get the timing of that right. So there we go. Still uh, an issue for the government. For more, let's bring in Bloomberg's UK government reporter, Joe Mays. Not a lot of detail, Joe, on how they're going to get out of this measure. Does anybody really know what's going on? Yes, you're right. They've been very reluctant to give details on how the lockdown might be restricted. And their argument has been, you know, we don't want to dilute the message. We want to get very clear to the British people they should be staying at home to save lives and so on. But there is a, many reports in the press there that actually function the fact that they do not know. It's not that they have a strategy and they're not willing to reveal it. It's more that there is either complete disagreement or just a lack of yeah, consensus on what the lifting of restrictions look like. We had a flavour last night. They talked about the five tests. Infections have to be coming down, deaths have to be coming down, the NHS have had capacity and so on. But that isn't much of a strategy, really. It's just kind of saying what would have to be in place before we got to thinking about the next stage. Is there an element here, do you think, Joe, of um, not really wanting to make any massive decisions uh, until Boris Johnson's back in place? Because in the way uh, they want him to be the man who makes the decision and potentially takes the blame. Yes, I think so. I think Dominic Raab, who's been standing in as first Secretary of State, has been looking to lead by consensus, not been looking to seem like he thinks he's the Prime Minister and taking decisions Johnson will be taking. So I think there's definitely a lot of that going on. And as you say, they want Johnson to be the figurehead. They want him to both take responsibility for yeah, the kind of the, the good things and the bad things, if, 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 if that's the case. But yeah, I think you're right. And what about face masks? Are they a thing that's going to happen? There's been a bit of a tussle. I'm seeing Sadiq Khan coming out with a few ideas around this. And then Chris Whitty last night, chief medical officer, saying that the debate is very much a live issue. Yes, because I think there's increasing concern in the public about why the government isn't asking people to wear face masks as a matter of official guidance, because there's a view which says 
countries like South Korea, which have done very well at keeping this pandemic under control. Obviously, there's lots of face mask wearing. So I think you're right. We should watch out for this issue. Chris Whitty did say last night that they're examining it. There is some evidence in some circumstances that it is helpful, but they're still looking at the issue. So we could see a new turn there. But the wider issue, Joe, on, on terms of supplies, uh, in terms really of provision generally, including, of course, testing, does seem to be live. There was an extraordinary headline today about uh, the head of some hospital calling up Burberry to try and get them to give them some equipment. I mean, most extraordinary things. It doesn't really sound as if the government's got a handle on it yet. I think you're right. And we have that 100,000 test a day target Matt Hancock set for the end of the month. And quite Strangely, the government is now saying their testing capacity is in the region, say, 37,000. So still quite a long way off that 100,000 to go with only less than two weeks to go. Yet the actual number of tests per day is still well below 37,000. It's now more at, say, 16,000. So the government's saying they have this kind of supply, but it's not enough demand for the test. It's been a function of just not being able to get enough access workers through into those testing um, facilities, or indeed them not being there because it used to weekend and so on. So it is a kind of all over the place in many regards. Well, why isn't there enough demand? Do you think that people will be queuing up, especially people working on the front line, to get tested, especially those who are self-isolating, who could be back out there working, but can't because they have to fulfil the, the time period where they have to stay at home? Indeed. And I think the government's policy so far has been we're offering testing as a priority to NHS workers. But the problem they have is they have, at this stage, it seems, lots of tests available, but not, not enough NHS workers coming forward to get those tests, either because they're on shifts or they've been on holiday over the bank on the weekend. But then also, yeah, they haven't expanded the ability to test to the wider population. So they, we have a situation where there are tests available which people could be using, but they're not because the system's been set up to total NHS. Another very striking thing, finally, on this, Joe, is uh, the Nightingale Hospital, open to a great uh, a great amount of fanfare. This was going to be the kind of thing that was going to help the NHS through. But people are saying they're basically empty. Uh, and uh, people say, oh, that's because uh, the, the organisation is working. But suggestions that really they were never going to work because you'd always need more staff to be able to run those hospitals, let alone the space. So was it all, in a way, a bit of a PR exercise? Yeah, I think that's definitely a, a critical concern, getting enough workers in to staff these beds. That's always been a constraint, and the government's going to have to do a lot to, to, to solve that issue. I think they have to be seen to be doing something to increase capacity of NHS, and obviously Nightingale is a, is, a, is, a, is a good example of that, but as you say, it can be uh, kind of shown on TV. I think it's all useful down the line. They did need to do it. I think we do need to kind of bear that in mind. They do need that extra capacity for beds uh, if, 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 if it does get worse. Okay, well, let's move the conversation on to a particular topic that we're focusing on throughout the rest of the programme. It is the particular challenge to MPs spread out across the country trying to work from home. We've spoken to a lot of guests about how a virtual parliament might work. Here's what MPs past and present have told us. I'm a member of the Treasury Select Committee and we had our, our first Zoom meeting yesterday, which is, is quite different in terms of how you do things. Certainly replicating that with 650 MPs would be a lot more difficult than with a, a Select Committee, which is much smaller. Committees, I think you can make work reasonably well online, although there are problems with that because you can't read the body language in the same way when you've, you've just got a screen in front of you or, or just even worse, a telephone line. We should also, I think, be looking at following the example of New Zealand. In New Zealand, they've cancelled all the, the legislation, so there's no votes of any consequence. Um, but they've got a super committee of MPs, which can also involve a video 
Well, that was the SNP's Alison Thewlis, former Conservative Cabinet Minister David Liddington and the Liberal Democrat MP Alistair Carmichael, all speaking to us over the last few days about this issue as we look ahead to Tuesday, which is when Parliament gets up and running again. Uh, still with us is Bloomberg's UK government reporter, Joe Mays. So, Joe, we've heard a little bit about what Parliament could look like. What are we expecting to see when things get back to, to, to business on Tuesday? Yes, the first thing to say is the government needs to vote on these new measures that would allow this kind of virtual parliament to be set up. And it would be a hybrid parliament whereby some people would be kind of dialing in through Zoom and being able to participate in urgent questions, prime minister's questions and so on. And that would be limited to, say, 120 MPs under the current plan. And in the first two hours of sitting in the parliament, they'd be able to, to contribute. Then also, it would be hybrid insofar as 50 MPs, up to 50 MPs, would be allowed to come in into the, the, the House of Commons chamber itself, observing strict social distancing rules to also participate in the debate. So that's the kind of plan at the moment is to have that hybrid, hybrid approach. But like I said, it needs to be approved by Parliament first. The problem with that, Joe, obviously, is that the normal work of Parliament in its totality, I guess, can't go on. You, you, you can't do it with that sort of weird mix uh, in the same way. Yes, I think we, we, we can't expect the, the full business of Parliament to go ahead. It, it would be a, a, a kind of a, a limited service compared to what, what, what is normally happening. But it would mean that you know, some votes can happen on the key issues. For example, the finance bill, which will bring into effect what was in the budget, that still needs to be done. That's a very important piece of legislation. Similar to the legislation lying around that needs to go through as well. So they need to get something up and running so that this stuff can happen because it's very important for the continuing function of the country. So we're really talking about a bare bones parliament here, just getting through the crucial things, the coronavirus critical legislation, rather than carrying on with the huge array of things that the government wants to get done before this came about. Because you remember that from the manifesto, there was so much and they really were pressing on at the start of January. New bills every week. Presumably all of that takes a back seat now. Yeah, I think so. Necessarily, it'll have to be the case that that stuff does go on the back burner, so to speak. I mean, there will still be attempts to get, have select committee meetings happening as well. But, I mean, 20, 20 a month can happen because of uh, because of these measures with the Zoom conferencing, for example. But like you say, this won't be business as usual. This will be a, a stripped-down programme uh, focusing on the, the most important legislation. All the committees as well, Joe, they've been going on anyway, haven't they, to some extent? I mean, this this isn't entirely new ground. Uh, some MPs have quite a lot of experience of doing work in this sort of way. Yes, yeah, so over the Easter break, we did have the Treasury Select Committee meetings happening, for example, through this, through this tele... Um, well, some of it, some of it was yet, yet done by teleconferencing, for example. So, yes, it, it isn't completely new, and... Uh, they're used to working from home in this way, so you can feel that kind of scrutiny can still happen. It's just a question of things like votes, for example. That's still a bit unclear how that would happen in Parliament. You know, they, they need to decide on a mechanism for voting. Would be done by proxy, or we have people going through division lobbies. That's still up in the air. And finally, what about PMQs? Are going to see the Prime Minister at a virtual dispatch box on Wednesday? I, I don't think we'll see Boris Johnson himself, because I mean, saying he's recovering at his country residence. Checkers, perhaps it will be yes, Dominic Raab's first Secretary of State standing in. And yes, there will be a, a virtual PMQ. I think likely Raab himself will go into the chamber. That, that's not confirmed, but I imagine he will. And then it's the case that there will be some MPs in the chamber itself asking questions, plus others dialing in by teleconference and also asking questions there. So it will be at, at the first ever kind of virtual hybrid PMQ. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. Roger, where are we starting today? Well, we're starting with Amazon because uh, plans reportedly for COVID-19 testing kits to be delivered to British homes by Amazon. The Times says that company is starting a pilot program which will deliver throat swabs that can be picked up one hour after a sample has been taken. Text messages will deliver the results with the whole process aiming to wrap up in less than 48 hours. Now, the paper says the test is different from attempts to create a home test that shows antibodies to coronavirus which of course shows whether you have had the disease so there we go could amazon be a key player in the in the testing crisis really that is sweeping britain well here we go here's another one for you the government said to be providing protection to companies making new ventilator models from legal action over malfunctions or intellectual property breaches. That's according to the Financial Times, which cites letters from the Cabinet Office Minister Michael Gove to chair uh, and to the chair of the Public Accounts Committee. The extent of the protection is unclear, but it comes as companies including Dyson, Rolls-Royce and BAE Systems are working on new models or stepping up production of existing or revised versions of ventilators. So another instance here where standards potentially see uh, are, are sort of allowed to, to, to drop a little bit. They're getting some leeway there. And it's where we've seen accusations around uh, civil liberties with some of the government legislation. Uh, and you also see it with regulators in financial services. So all of this sort of bending of the rules, really, that coronavirus is bringing in. And all to do with breathing in. But of course, there's also breathing out to think about. Should we all be wearing face masks? Well, wearing face masks while travelling in London should be compulsory. That's according to the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. Now, he says, despite UK public health experts not currently recommending the use of face coverings, he wants to lobby the government for guidelines to be changed. Think of bandana, think of a scarf, think of a, a reusable mask. The reason why it's important is although it may not stop you catching the virus, what it does do is stop you passing on the virus if you're pre-symptomatic or asymptomatic. And all that comes after it was made compulsory in New York on Wednesday. Similar schemes also being operated in the Czech Republic and Slovakia. And I've just seen that apparently you get fined if you don't wear one in Mongolia. And as Joe Mays was telling us in the first part of the programme, watch this space for any developments coming from the government after Chris Whitty called it a live issue in yesterday's press conference. But let's get back to our discussion about a virtual parliament. The House of Commons is going to sit remotely in part for the first time next week after MPs were granted permission to quiz ministers via Zoom. 120 MPs are going to take part in proceedings via video conference and then up to 50 will be physically in the chamber following guidance, of course, on social distancing. Well, joining us now is Dr Ruth Fox. She's director of the Hansard Society, which is a think tank that promotes parliamentary democracy. Uh, so, so, Ruth, I guess the starting point here is, is this going to allow MPs to hold the government to account effectively? Well, that's, that's the key question, isn't it? Um, I mean, the statement that the House of Commons Commission announced yesterday said that the MPs who are um, acting remotely through this video conferencing system that they're establishing will be able to take part in essentially the interrogatory aspects of parliamentary business for the first two hours of each parliamentary day sitting. So things like 
questions of ministerial departmental question times, ministerial statements, urgent questions. Um, but they won't be able to take part in any legislative debate. So the key question is, how much, if any, legislation is the government still going to be trying to take through next week and, and beyond? Um, and what is the accountability going to be for that? But certainly, I think in terms of sort of a focusing on the core essential business of the coronavirus situation, having that option to put questions to ministers uh, and the prime minister or his, his stand-in for the, for the next few weeks um, means that there is certainly going to be some accountability and we'll have to see how effective, uh, how effective it is and how, how well they adjust to using the video conferencing technology to, to do the questioning. Well, Ruth, I am detecting a certain amount of um, concern, let's say, in, in, in what you're saying about this. But I suppose the trade-off is you either have that or you have nothing. Uh, and, and half a loaf is better than none at this stage. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think everybody would agree that this is suboptimal, but it is for so many organisations across the country, across the world, isn't it? I mean, we're all having to adjust our working patterns and way, ways in which we manage our business. The same is true for, for both houses of Parliament. Um, I think the, the, the key question is how much business do they see happening in the chamber, physically, in, in, in actually at Westminster? Because they have indicated that they'll allow around 50 MPs to be in the chamber under social distancing rules. And the question is, well, who are those 50 MPs going to be? You know, who, who is going to stop more than 50 coming in if more than more want to actually go to Westminster if they're not going to be able to put legislation, legislative debate um, on online and, and do it remotely um, because that's an important question um, because if we end up in a situation where legislative proceedings only involve the MPs that can be in the chamber I think important questions about representation fair representation of every MP fair representation of the parties will will come into play and I fear one of the concerns will be that we'll end up with more MPs travelling to Westminster because they have no other option in order to take part in those proceedings. Now, the Commission has indicated they're going to review this, that um, they will try and move to legislative proceedings online, but they've not set any kind of timetable on it. Um, and next week, there's a couple of very big, important bills that are due to get a second reading. And the question is, until Tuesday, until the Leader of the House stands up and tells us what, uh, what changes he's going to make to, to the business of the House for the foreseeable future, we don't know whether um, those proceedings are going to carry on. And, and you at the Hands Hearted Society have advocated a fully virtual parliament rather than the hybrid that we've seen put forward. How do you propose that that would work for things like discussing legislation, debating legislation, which often involves a lot of people in the chamber at once? Yeah, I mean, what we have advocated is, is to avoid this hybrid model and this concern about unequal representation of members and a sort of a, a, a fairly unfair system that, that could result is... First of all, you, you need to deal with the, the divisions, the voting. So if voting is going to take place, they could adopt something like a deferred voting model. Um, there's certain technology out there that could be used. It's always a trade-off in terms of security and the need to, to mitigate the risk around the use of technology. But other parliaments are doing it, and we think Westminster could have, could have done so for a, for a short period of time. Um, and inevitably, you know, you are going to lose the theatre, you're going to lose the the, the, um, the intervention and the, the, you know, the sort of the quick repartee between the, the parties on, on each uh, side of the House. It's not going to be the same. You can't hold legislative debate in the same way. 
but you could have a more interrogatory approach to to the debate, I think. Yeah, because we're talking as if it hasn't happened at all. Of course, committees have been working in this way, even during the recess. Uh, we were talking to various MPs, of course. Alistair Carmichael, Liberal Democrat, said that what about a kind of New Zealand-style super committee? I mean, does that work? Yeah, I mean, that's one thing we've advocated in the proposal we put forward uh, earlier this week, jointly with the Constitution Unit at University College London. We, we think that, you know, there's a case for a committee dedicated to looking at kind of the emergency, the pandemic response by, by the government. New Zealand has got this sort of epidemic response committee, which is uh, members are senior members of the House. It's, it's chaired by the leader of the opposition. seems unlikely to me that the government would, would want to adapt, adopt that model here. But the alternative is the, the House of Commons Liaison Committee, the committee of select committee chairs, uh, the very most as an alternative model to enable um, some scrutiny to take place. Obviously, it's not legislative proceedings, but it would be you know, create a, a really good cross-departmental focus for the scrutiny of, of ministers and how to handle the situation. And just talk us through how these decisions are made about how a virtual parliament should be run. I know MPs are going to vote on the proposals when they come back on Tuesday, but who is doing all the legwork here? Who, who is coming up with these proposals? Well, that, that's a bit unclear because it's all happening behind the scenes. And the, the key body is the House of Commons Commission, um, which consists of the Speaker, the Leader of the House, the Shadow Leader of the House, some of the most senior MPs. You've got the, the Scottish National Party represented on that. So the, the sort of key business managers for the, for the main parties, uh, as well as some, some lay members. Um, I think it's fairly clear from the statements that the Speaker has played quite an important role in uh, in pushing for this to happen because he's concerned about the prospects of members of Parliament having to travel to Westminster, you know, increased numbers of staff being required on the parliamentary estate and the risk to public health that that, that um, creates. Um, but the, the critical thing is going to be Tuesday when the Leader of the House is going to have to move a motion without notice setting out what it, what the proposals are and how they plan to adjust the business of the House. Yeah. Now, you know, the clue is there. It's without notice. MPs will, will not know the, the fine detail of how this is going to operate until they see that motion. And the problem, I think, on Tuesday is we don't know how many MPs are actually going to turn up. So uh, if I... MPs you know, don't decide not to turn up, then but they won't be able to contribute to the debate or contribute to the proceedings because certainly on Tuesday... Until they vote on, on the motion, the proceedings will continue as normal in the chamber. And in about 20 seconds, you haven't got much time left. How on earth are they going to vote? I mean, a basic thing. Normally, they go through a lobby. Yes. I mean, on Tuesdays, they'll do that. They'll go through the lobby if a vote is called. But I would fully expect that the parties will have, have reached a decision between themselves. You know, the party business managers, they will be whipped to put it through on the nod. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.